I was still working away in the knitwear factory and then when Brendan asked me would I take part in this scheme they said there might be a year's work on it there might be two years work on it but certainly I mean given the choice between collecting folk songs and knitting arms for cardigans I mean what would you do? My name is Tom Munley, it's not a name you find to any great extent around Clare where I'm living now or even up in Dublin but once you go as far as Killala thereabouts you can't spit without hitting a Munley. My grandparents were from there but I myself was born and reared in Dublin, grew up in a totally urban situation and how I got into this business I suppose is a fairly long evolving tale. I mean, I wasn't struck on the road to Damascus anywhere at all. I suppose if you have to look for a logical beginning, um, even though I grew up in Dublin, still a city that I have a great fondness for, um, at weekends, ever since I can remember, I joined the Cub Scouts for a beginning, then into the Boy Scouts. And my first introduction to song outside of Hoolies at home, it used to be a fairly good house for Hoolies, but at weekends, of course, you'd be sitting around the campfires singing, uh, you know, aesthetic masterpieces like Ging Gang, Gully Gully, Gully Wish Wash and On Ilka Moor by Tat and all that. And I suppose uh, situations like that got you into the habit of singing. As the revival started, I suppose I came in on the way of there. You know, the... Clancy Brothers there, I mean, it's fairly fashionable to slag them, the Clancy Brothers and the Dubliners and all that. Everybody can be wise after the event and you'll find not an awful lot of people admitting that these extremely popular people had an influence on them. Of course, they were always interested in traditional song. I mean, they, were sort of, they weren't crying in the cradle, they were singing shanos. But, I mean, there was this great upsurge of interest there with the Clancy Brothers. And when I left school, left, went to... Scalise gone in Ockavanna Road, Crumlin. After that, did two years in tech, and that was the extent of my formal education. But for the first few years of my life, working life there, not a few, about seven or eight years, I was working in the rag trade and the knitwear business. Uh, first as a storeman, and then, say, about, for about six or seven years as a machine operator, doing shift work. And it's something I was very conscious of even then particularly when you'd finished a night's shift. I remember so often coming up from the place where I worked, uh, now defunct, it used to be Bear Brand Nylons and Knitwear, Mulcahy Brothers, but coming up Clotter Road every morning on the bike at 8 o'clock when you'd finished the shift and being so conscious there that here I am, just finished a night in a sweatshop. and uh, it may sound over romantic but I, it felt very intensely there coming up there you're up the road there and here's the Dublin Hills behind you and you're just going back to your box for the day to sleep get up and go back into your uh, factory for the night so I began on a literary basis as well I began reading 
quite a lot on the what people call the classic ballads, the uh, traditional ballads that are found uh, internationally. Well, I'd be talking about them in the English language, but ballads that are found essentially in Scotland and England and English-speaking Ireland. And I began reading on these ballads there. Not, I suppose, my first um, effort was to try and uh, looking looking for more songs for uh, singing with the lads. Um, then you just got you swept up in the whole fact that these ballads were so bloody dramatic. I mean, they were terrific reading. I mean, that, that's an aspect never to be overlooked in tra- in traditional songs, ballads in particular. I mean, they are mighty entertainment, whatever value they may have as literature, etc., it's only secondary, began reading more and more on these classic ballads, say the Border Ballads, the Robin Hood Ballads, song materials that had a very, very ancient lineage. I mean, they began, if you can say, with any uh, being definite about where they did begin, but they they had a, a medieval origin, a great deal of them. There was three of the gypsies came to our hall door. Deacon Brills and Bodley O, but is one song high and the other song low, and the lady sung draggle taggle gypsy O. It was upstairs, downstairs the lady ran. She took off for silk so fine and put an address of leather oh. And it was the cry all around our door. She's away with the raggle taggle gypsy oh. A place I used to go fairly frequently at the time was Boyle in County Roscommon. Essentially because uh, it was an extremely good spot for flas. I mean, I've been to a number of flas in Boyle. In fact, the Roscommon fly usually began the year at Easter weekend. And um, at the time was going along attending all the uh, singing competitions. Not so much competing as uh, listening to what was to be sung around. Even then began to get fairly bored with uh, the standard of the very frequently milk and water type songs that were sung there. But I remember one day um, Gretton's Pub in Boyle being the focal point for much of the music that was happening there in the early 60s. It got very crowded on a flower weekend. So I went in next door to... I can't think of the name of the pub now. Joe Dodds, that was it. And having a couple of points in the comparative quiet of Dodds. And there was a tiny little man sitting in a corner there, you know, with nose and peak of cap in point. Uh, he began singing after a while. And God knows that man. He was singing in a form that bore very little relation to the uh, consciously arty form of singing that I had been listening to in the singing competition beforehand. But God, he began singing uh, The Raggle Taggle Gypsy, uh, a song that up to that date I think I'd only known listening to what's Leo McGuire's version of it there, The Gypsy Rover. So ears pricked up there and took interest. And then sang a song called What Put the Blood on Your Right Shoulder. I was really sitting up then. Oh, I'll put the blood on your right shoulder 
Hanson, come tell it unto me, tell me, Hanson, come tell it unto me. Oh, that is the blood of a hearman, and you may pardon me, me, and you may pardon me. Saying that is the blood of your youngest brother and son, come tell it unto me, tell me, and son, come tell it unto me. What he can between you and your youngest brother and son, come tell it unto me, tell me, and son, come tell it unto me. He was a travelling man by the name of John Riley a man that I came to know fairly well over the years. The first few visits I made to John Riley, it was just a case of um, anything I took down from him, uh, I took down on uh, notebooks. And I began casting around me, there even the place I was working in. Uh, I remember there was some men came in from Leeds from there to put up shelving in the store. And I was becoming more and more conscious of the songs around me and... Uh, I've got Peter, I can't think of his second name there too, putting up the shelves there. Uh, he had a good number of songs there, so I started ch- people in general started chasing everyone around with a, you know, with, with a notepad, taking down songs from them. I didn't have a tape recorder at the time, um, but became aware that songs should be written down, not through any... Um, I hadn't got I hadn't got an eye to posterity at all. I just wanted to gather up songs, just collecting songs everywhere from from my own use. Began returning visit and to visit John Riley frequently, and started borrowing tape recorders from people, uh, even borrowing tapes. In fact, the first machine I got a lend of was an enormous old Philips. Uh, it was portable by virtue of the fact that it had a handle on it, but that was it. It weighed about I think about three stone. So it didn't make life any easier because still my only mode of transport was my thumb. So I'd have the haversack on the back and this, you know, and the heavy suitcase on the other side. I began to spread out from around the Boyle area, going to places in Mohill. Another man that I met in the early days um, was a man by the name of Michael Moran, same same name as Zazimus, but he was in fact the son of um, Tom Moran, the mighty traditional singer there from Drumrahal in Mohill. And I'd been corresponding with Peter Kennedy, a collector, uh, who did a great deal of work all over Britain and some up in Donegal there with Seamus Ennis and Sean O'Boyle. And he suggested that I go out and collect Michael Moran. So up go. I remember one visit very vividly. The first visit to the house took about seven or eight lifts, landed in Mohill. Had to walk the three miles with my luggage out to the house landed at the door 
and told him that I was interested in songs and I was wondering did Michael have any of the songs that his father had. Now he was referred to as young Michael even though I suppose he was in his sixties then. God he was he was delighted that anyone was interested in the songs of the old boss as he called them. So I was given a great welcome, sat down, eggs and rashers put up in front of me there. Extremely lovely people, very friendly. So Michael sang away for me there, lovely style of singing. So as you are going down Strawberry Lane, every rose grow merry be time. It's there you will meet a pretty young maid and tell her that she's a true lover of mine. <coughs> tell her to get me a hull in church, every rose grow merry be time. Without same or stitch or needle work, and then he will be a true lover of mine. Tell her to wash it in yon spring well, every rose grow merry be time. Where water ne'er sprung, nor water ne'er fell, and then he will be a true lover of mine. Tell her to dry it in yon wind bush, every rose grow merry be time. Where the ne'er grow a thorn since Adam was born, and then she will be a true lover of mine. Around midnight. I thanked them very much and said, you know, just time I headed back in for Mohill to get a place to stay for the night. But Michael wouldn't hear about it at all. He'll stay the night, they put me up on the sofa in the, in the front room. But I had to do a favour for Michael at the time. For me night's keep. You see, Michael was sending off uh, a bullock to the fair in Mohill the following day. And he asked me would I drive it in. Oh, full of confidence, no bother at all. So that meant that his young lad was working. That meant he could go into work, meet me in Mohill, and do with the selling of the bullock itself, and old Michael could get on with the farm work and follow in later. So up at around five o'clock in the morning, lovely morning, I'm brought out and introduced to this bullock that I had to drive in. Now, I don't think it was in Michael's comprehension that anybody could be entirely so ignorant about the ways of cattle. I mean, I try to look confident, so he gives me the azel wattle and I'm wallowing on the rump and out the road we go. God knows, it was a bloody nightmare. The three miles into town there, uh, every ditch, every hedge, I, I don't know whether Shergar was a flat racer or a steeplechaser, but geez, he wasn't as good as this bullock. I was chasing it in and out of fields, up through gardens, every grid, every bloody where we went there. It took me, and uh, there were other people at the time. This just being around dawn, other people were walking the cattle into the fair, and I could say that they were getting great amusement out of my embarrassment on the way in. And I, I was actually stopped on the way in there. I was offered sixty-four pounds for it. Of course, I told, I was told that I didn't. Uh, I, that I didn't. I told him I didn't have the selling of it anyway. But eventually a man took pity on me there about a mile outside Mohill and he put the bullock in with his cattle and drove it the rest of the way in. And it was sold there about 10 o'clock in the morning there and he only got 62. So maybe I should have done the deal. Maybe I've missed a calling in that line.
I went one evening to a concert in the examination hall in, where was it, in, in, in Trinity, yeah. And Bert Lloyd was singing that night. Bert Lloyd, I suppose a lot of people would know him as A.L. Lloyd. He was a, a singer, a man who spent a lot of time in Australia, has made recordings of Australian songs, very much a self-made scholar, but a very good scholar of traditional song in, Engl- in England. So after the concert was over, I went into O'Neill's pub in Suffolk Street, and he was at the bar, so I got talking to him. And there was an American there, a Professor D.K. Wilgus. So made friends with Wilgus through that night. He was over at the time he had embarked on his index of traditional song in the English-speaking uh, countries. He was covering all of um, Britain and Ireland. We built up a friendship there. He'd been here. He'd been, had been in Ireland for about um, seven or eight months at the time, doing a lot of work on indexing the material, the English language, and macaronic songs in the Folklore Commission, as it was. Now, he was asking, he was saying there that the amount of time that he had left, he was on a year sabbatical and he only had about four months left. So he asked me, could I carry on um, extracting the materials from the manuscript collection there, um, making out index cards, doing a synopsis of the texts and uh, sending them over to him in UCLA, University of California in Los Angeles, where he's a professor. So I agreed, but there was one snag that had to be overcome first. Uh, I had obviously one of the first places you go to when you build up an interest in traditional song was the Folklore Commission. So Wilgus got me into the Folklore Commission. So I began working away there. At this stage I was on doing three shifts uh, in the factory there, 8 to 4, 4 to 12 and 12 to 8. So when I was on the 8 to 4 shift I would go down to the Folklore Commission and work for a few hours and on the 4 to 12 shift I go in for a few hours in the morning and was able to get quite a lot of work done because people like Sean O'Sullivan, the archivist in there, couldn't have been more helpful. And even um, I found that old Professor Delargy was couldn't have been more helpful because I wasn't even aware of who he was. I'd be down in the basement walking away and this very dignified figure would stalk in and out now and again. And eventually, you know, I was called into the boardroom one morning and ex- uh, scrutinised with an intense scrut as to what I was doing. Um, he had been... Obviously, Wilgus had asked for, for, for permission for me to work there. And I built up a fairly good relationship with Professor Delarkey to the extent that uh, I was taken aback there. I was more than glad of the opportunity of working there when I could... But at his suggestion, he uh, pulled his, his key to the commission out of his pocket and sent me over to Woolworths to get a key cut so I could come in and out at the weekends myself. It meant when after I had been at that for a couple of years, no matter what area I'd be going into, I would have a vague idea of what sort of songs to, to be looking for, to be asking for, and like as I'll go into later there, like finding um, 
singers in one area or another. It begins a chain, a chain reaction. Fermentation make no marrow, and the sweet county down man am I, and the search of a wife while a traveling round the main streets of old Carrozzi. Was the first man I met for Red and he. Red welcome, he had it for me. He had brought me down to Rockroman, and the best of good whiskey for me. While the first he drew down about Dylan, and the next he drew down about me. He had fighted me out to his wagon, and the best of good comfort for me. Was the first I threw me iron was Julia, for a hawker she would make for me. She'd be driving my piebalds and wagon round the main streets of old Carabee. Was the first month me and Julia lived happy, and the second we could not agree. And the third one she wore that old trousers, and she used the black bottle and me. Oh, whenever you want to get buckled, inquire for old Caravi. It is there you'll get a wife same as I did, round the main streets of old Caravi. I think you know, I've written the, the other article in the review for Kyo, and the editor of that, uh, Brendan Brannock, had already started on working for the Department of Education, collecting uh, traditional music, the instrumental music from around the country. And back in 1969-70, he was pushing there for a pilot scheme with the Department of Education for the collection of traditional song. And... uh, it was happening and then it wasn't happening and it was up and down like a seesaw there for a couple of years and we finally got to go ahead in mid 1971 it was and he appointed two collectors there it was um, to be initially for a year myself uh, for working on songs in the English language and then the Titus concepted a whole lot there, Sean Corcoran, was to do uh, a survey of the songs in just one county, the uh, County Loud. As part of the job there, you're essentially classified by the department, by the uh, gurus in administration as a travelling officer. And of course, in my line of work there, your car was very necessary. And... Not alone did I not have a car, I mean, I didn't know how to drive either. But uh, yet this is something that you didn't broadcast too loudly. So I took the job and declared that I had a car, got a lend of £200 and went looking for a car. And of course, being very green in the ways of garages and uh, second-hand car salesmen at the time, one of the first people I met happened to have a car. Uh, it was only eight years old and, you know, Believe it or not, £200 was exactly what he was looking for. It was a big old car, sir. I love you looking car. Very heavy. I mean, I pushed it around most of the country. But uh, 
so the, the time came there. So spent a few weeks, two weeks, going to the National Library there, um, working over broadsheets and stuff like that, and taking a frantic uh, crash course in driving lessons. That's an unfortunate use of words there. <laughs> um, so having my provisional licence and my brand new eight-year-old car, I remember on a Monday morning, setting off, I was heading obviously back around Boyle, this is where I knew the people, um, nine o'clock in the morning, out in the car, turned the ignition in the key, the ignition key, nothing happened, I mean, this was the first of many times, so half the neighbours pushing me up and down Rutland Avenue, we got it started eventually, left the engine revving there, uh, got into it, did a little practice run around the block to get up my confidence before heading the 100 miles down the road, then packed the car with the engine running, um, let it into gear, went away, down Rutland Avenue, down Clocker Road, and it stopped again. You know, Couldn't get it started again this time. So I decided that if I was going to get a week's work done, it was back to the old reliable. Now this time I was had a, given a, a U-Hurt recorder, which was easier to carry than the old Phillips anyway. So it was a case of back to the haversack and the tape recorder again. So it was too late to get a train down to Boyle. There was one going in the evening, but the day would have been gone. So I got the bus out as far as Lucan and started hitching. Now, I usually have dreadful luck hitching, but everything just went well that day. I practically just got off the bus, stuck out my thumb, and the first car practically to come along was driven by a man by the name of Charlie McMurrow. He uh, took me into the seat beside him and he was from Ballinalak there outside Mullingar and he told me about I told him about what I was doing and all that and he said oh god you're going to have to hear my father he is a rake of these old songs so it was through him brought me in there and met his father also named Charlie McMurrow lovely old man originally from up around Loch Ness he was an eel fisherman by trade and uh so, peculiarly enough, the first song I recorded officially for the Department of Edu- Education there was recorded in Mullingar, but it's a, shall we say, a faction song called The Knights of St. Patrick from up, up around that area. I rode out one evening, it been in the day, a month of June. When the fields they were green and oh the rose all in bloom, I led myself down near a low shady tree, where no sleep did appease me as a plain you may see. I was not long lying to a damsel by. I saluted her kindly and she made this reply. Why do you wear the green ribbons or a lovely cockade? You're a knight to St. Patrick, oh, she on to me, send. 
the situation I intended working was collect a week, transcribe a week, and you know, week in, week out. But it didn't take me too long to realise that it just couldn't be done. So back to more driving lessons during that week as well. So the confidence returned and I set off on the Monday fortnight again. Back into the car, car started. Uh, of course, being a rotten driver, I was, sort of went kangaroo hopping down the road. And it was, uh, I remember one of the, the kids beside me on the road shouting after me, we now have lift off. <laughs> So I went sort of bunny hopping down down the road, but got as far as Stillorgan. I was heading down Wexford Way. I came to the hill there, the traffic lights in Stillorgan. And I was dreading this because, I mean, I just wasn't good at hills. I hadn't covered hills in my weeks, uh, uh, driving lessons. So I got to the hill, handbrake on, and then, of course, I stalled the engine. And this was grand. I was in a muck sweat. The lights changed back again tried to get started but of course only succeeded in rolling back down the hill um, ch- lights changed again now by th- by this time there was a like, three, I think I'd have practically the entire Bray road blocked on the, on the way out there there was a lot of cars behind me and they were getting more and more nervous because the first car behind me left a, a rapidly diminishing amount of space because every time the lights changed I went back about three feet until finally he was a man of eminent sense in the car be, behind me he eventually after the lights had changed about the five time the fifth time he comes up opens the door on my side he says move over you idiot <laughs> so he drove me over the hill in Stillorg and he said right your engine is running again now keep going Coming down to Clare first in 1964. I mean, the, the, when I'm talking to Clare, I'm talking about the place I'm living in there, Milltown Malby. And my first entry to the village of Milltown Malby was in 1964. And at the time, there was the Darling Girl from Clare Festival was on. And my very first impression of Milltown Malby on arriving was there was a van, not a van, a lorry with a platform out in the back there. And uh, up there playing away on the stage there you know, was I think Willie Clancy and Michael Falsey um, the Downs is on whistle and there was a mighty set going on up there Tom Lennon was up in the set, Marty Malley was up in the set I mean, that's a very good beginning an entry to anywhere and there just seems to be something about the area not just Milltown in particular there that uh, even though I'd lived in Dublin all my life and had been around various parts of the country when I arrived here and I felt at home Mudley, you've arrived. I mean, you may not be from Clare, but this is where you live all the time. Now, I had no great knowledge of the the county. I used to come down, as I say, the odd time, mainly for musical sessions, but never heard a great deal of traditional singing at all. Um, Met Murdoch Rohan. He's the director of the Willie Clancy Summer School, which was started after Willie died. Uh, Met him for the first time in December 71. He was a great help to me as well in giving me addresses. But it was such a chain reaction. I mean, I went out to Tom Lennon. He put me in contact with uh, Junior Crean. I had met Junior before, but only peripherally. 
Junior put me in contact with JC Welch, who was a terrific old singer altogether. JC Welch put me in contact with Joe Mikey McMahon. It was a, an entire snowball effect. The fact that the traditional singing wasn't so much alive since the fairs and all these had passed away there. You didn't have the social occasion so much for singing anymore. But there were so many people around with extremely good songs who... Um, up until very recently had been singing them there was no trouble to get them every house you went into you got your cup of tea and your, and your, your, your bit of bread as well um, you, you had a great welcome and a great consciousness on behalf of most of the people of what you were doing Once in my rambles to fair London town All along in these rambles my true love I found he says, brother sailor, to where are you bound? He smiled and made answer to fair London town. To London, fair city, I would willingly go. But as to get over, I do not well know. I'm not bred a sailor, but if you want a hand, I will free your passage over and do all I can. I was working for the uh, Department of Education, as I said there. It was meant to be a one-year or two-year um, pilot scheme, but it developed on for three years. After three years, I was still at it. And then... In 1974, I think it was, uh, Trinity College expressed an interest in in, um, acquiring the collection made by the Department of Education. And at this time, the folklore department, the UCD, also became interested. Oh, as I went out walking one morning in May, Far to view those green meadows And to watch those lambs play True lovers was talking And the fair maid did stay now, young man, you're false-hearted. Have you led me astray? I've actually recorded people at 8 o'clock in the morning. Um, a man, a travelling man down in um, in Clunigal in, in Carlow. I went to him at 9 o'clock at night and he said, Well, I'll sing for you. He said, You know, I'm fresher in the morning. It's fair enough, so Mickey, I'll be... When it suits you tomorrow, I'll be back around 11 or 12. He said, no, I said the morning. So, uh, how early? Well, I'd be up around 7 and I'll be still fresh around 8, will you call them? Now, he was a travelling man. Um, he was a man there, when we published a cassette of Traveller songs there, he sings a crabfish song on it there, but what isn't said there, I mean, that he was lighting the fire, breaking the sticks up underneath the teapot, heating it away there, but singing away at 8 o'clock in the morning, and fair play to him. 
All the ones a little man, and he had a little horse, and he saddle on his bridle, and his dicky pole across, Mr. Diddlum, doodlum, Mr. Diddlum, but I don't For he rode, and he rode, till he came to the brook, and he see the little fisherman fishing with a hook, Mr. Diddlum, doodlum, oh, Mr. Diddlum, but I don't Saying a fisherman, a fisherman, you'll catch a crab fish, give it on to me, and I'll bring it home, Mr. Diddlum, doodlum, well, Mr. Diddlum, but I don't but the fisherman, the fisherman, he caught a crab fish, he gave it unto me, and I brought it home, Mr. Diddlum, doodlum, Mr. Diddlum, but I don't eh. Oh, when I brought it home, sure, I nailed them hot and dish, and I put it in the shaving where my mother used to piss, Mr. Diddlum, doodlum, oh, Mr. Diddlum, but I don't eh. The mother got up for the do a little drop, and the little old crab fish stuck to her spot, Mr. Diddlum, doodlum, oh, Mr. Diddlum, but I don't eh. Oh, husband, husband, sure, sure, barn, the devil in the piss pot, give me the heart, but it's down, don't laugh. Mr. Needle, but I don't, eh. Oh, the master got up and he run for the whip, and the more he bet the codfish, the more he held his whip. Mr. Needle, don't laugh. Oh, Mr. Needle, but I don't, eh. He bet him in the head and he kicked him in the side, and then the little codfish, then he did die, Mr. Needle. So in 1974, the um, myself and Brendan Brannock, we were the only two left in working at this. Um, we were acquired acquired by the folklore department, and I've been an employee of the Department of Irish Folklore since then. Then, as time went on, I was just spending so much time in the field. It was great at the beginning. God knows, I I still enjoy going meeting. Uh, new people with songs and all that but uh, I mean, the family was growing up and I was seeing so little of them I, I'd be away for two or three weeks out of every month and being a collector of folklore I mean, it, it was to the advantage of both the university and myself obviously they would have to the costings would be less if I was working in Clare and gathering up lore around me so I decided, you know, to move down to Clare in 1978. So I sort of pulled up the ten pegs, and in 1978, uh, moved down to Clare and have been here since, and hopefully will be here for the rest of my life. We gather ding gang, come down to our house, a few pleasant notes for to spend. Then with Duffy and Kelly and Flynn and myself, well and impotent our crown hard to find. So the thing most important we all must forget. We near left the piper behind. We invited him down to the party. He brought the bagpipes just by chance. We asked him to sing, but he says, I know, but I think it's a bit of a dance. He picked up the pipes and he started to play. Someone got full in the bounce. And caused a big hole in the bag of his pipes. And here is the tune that came out. Except for the extremely hackneyed songs, you might record everything. And even in some cases they're in an area that I've worked fairly intensively on. I and mean, if they if they sing Rock Around the Clock, 
I know I don't do it as often as I should, but you know I should record that as well because I, in a hundred years' time, I want if somebody wants to know what sort of songs are they singing in Ballymalac, Westmead, what sort of songs are they singing, in, were they singing in Fallon Head a hundred years ago? Um, at least this record will still be there. There is no great awareness of just how rich Ireland is, not alone um, in its traditional song in Irish. I mean, that, that has, been, has some appreciation, mainly because of the ornateness, shall we say, of the style that's commonly called Shan Nose. Uh, but th- there is so much in the English language as well, both in the form of singing and in the song's contents themselves. I suppose fairly dramatic examples would be um, back with, in the days when I was recording John Riley, he sang a song called The Well Below the Valley. If you look that up in the, more or less the Bible of Ballad Scholars, the Child Collection, um, you'll find there that it's classified as number 21, which means of the 305 Baldrias classified, the hoariest, shall we say, are at the beginning, and that's around number 21. Brink calls it the maid in the palm, or palmer being a term for a pilgrim from the Holy Land, or a pilgrim in general. Now here was a song that uh, Bishop Percy got in um, in manuscript form. He got it in the 17th century. He got it in the 18th century from a manuscript that was written in the uh, 17th century, a version that he published called Lilam Wham. Then it disappeared from tradition entirely until Sir Walter Scott noted down a fragment of it which he published in his Minstrelsy of the Scottish Border in 1803. But I mean, this was interesting because here he was documenting a song that had passed out of tradition uh, over a hundred years beforehand but it had left a fragment behind. And then you walk into a traveller's house in Boyle and here is a, a version every bit as good as Bishop Percy's version from um, 300 years beforehand and far superior to Walter Scott's version of a 150, 160 years before the recording. For a gentleman he was passing by He angst a drink as he got dry at a well below the valley Green rolled a lily, oh, right among the bushes, oh. My cup, it is in overflow, and if I just hope I may fall in at the well below the valley, oh. Green rolled a lily, oh. Right among the bushes, oh. Well, if your true love was passing by, you'd fill him a drink of he got dry at the well below the valley, oh. The important thing about song, the important thing about ballads, the reason why they survive in tradition, is not because of whatever and however interesting their literary background may be, it's because they're, you know, bloody fine entertainment. And that's what I'm after. I mean, always, I've heard a good many songs over the 20 years, but always over the next hill or around the next corner, there's the man with a song that I want to hear.